Well, good morning and welcome to Scotts Hill Baptist Church. So glad to see all of you here this morning. For those of you who may be first or second time guests, my name is Phil Ortigo. I serve as a senior pastor here. And let me just say on behalf of all of our staff and our church family that we're so glad that you're here this morning to join with us. If you're just joining with us, then we are ending a series that we began four weeks ago. And that series is what we've called Witnesses, Living Life on Mission. Every year, this time of the year, in November, we usually set the month aside of November to focus on mission and our mission emphasis. One of our core values at Scotts Hill is we live on mission. And we've been talking about the difference between being mission-minded and missional. Mission-minded is we think about mission. Missional is living and doing mission. And we've been looking at that for the last several weeks. We've used as our core verse, Acts chapter 1, verse 8 where Jesus is giving instruction to his disciples before he ascends, and he wants to give them clear instruction on what they want to need to do to live on mission. We saw in that passage that we saw the essentials for living on mission. Jesus laid those out. And then we looked at what does it mean to live on mission in our home. Last week, we talked about what does it mean to live on mission in our community. Yesterday, we had a wonderful opportunity to partner with um, Lake Forest Baptist Church, Vigilant Hope, Oak Valley Church, and some others in the area where we all came together and we loved on our community downtown. We had the opportunity to be with the people who live in that community, to express the love of Jesus to them by serving them, encouraging them, praying for them, and all of the different activities that we had there. So it was really, really nice to see our people getting out and living on mission. Today we're going to conclude, though, talking about living on mission everywhere I go. And that's what we want to look at. In fact, Jesus leaves this instruction to his disciples. And he says to them in Acts 1-8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And the disciples carried this plan out perfectly. We see through the whole book of Acts, this plan is laid out as you read the book of Acts. We see in chapters 1 through 7, they're in Jerusalem. Chapters 8 through 12, they're in Judea and Samaria. And, and then 13 through 28, they're at the end of the earth. At Scott's Hill, we want to follow that same plan. Because Jesus laid it out for his disciples, his followers. So at Scotts Hill, we want to do everything we can to encourage our people to be involved in this plan of missional living. So years ago, we've decided we need a missions pastor here. And for the last two years, going and now starting a third year, and soon to be starting his third year, is Vic LaVisca, who is our missions pastor. And one of his jobs is to work on a strategy and to work on a way that we can communicate this strategy and get all the people in the life of our church to live on mission, to do it locally, to do it in our communities, to do it statewide, and to do it globally. And so I've asked Vic to come this morning and to share with you some ways that you can get plugged in on mission in all of these different areas and how we can take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Vic LaVisca is our missions pastor. Would you welcome him this morning as he comes to the platform? Oh, he's already here. Hey. Thank you, Pastor Phil. It's good to be with you this morning, and uh, it's really good to, uh, uh, to hear over the last several weeks uh, how Pastor Phil and Pastor Josh had laid out what it means to, to live missionally. And I'm excited this morning. I'm excited because um, we, we, we go to a church that is, is so mission-minded. 
And I'm excited, too, that, that we get to share the greatest news that was ever shared with us. If you're a believer, that we get to take that message. We get to take the message uh, to not only the people and the neighbors and neighborhoods around us, but we get to take that across the world. And this morning, I want to share with you just a couple places that we, uh, we, get, to, we get to be missionally here at home and, and in the state of North Carolina, and also a, a couple places that we can uh, go across uh, the world and, and share the gospel. And um, as, you, as you are leaving here today, uh, you're going to see a, a sign that says, you are now entering your mission field. So whenever, whenever you leave from here today, that's your mission field. Where, where, if you go and eat at a restaurant today, that's your mission field. You can share the gospel with, with, with somebody that around you there. When you go to work uh, tomorrow, or whether you go, when you go to school tomorrow, that is your mission field. One thing great about, about that is that knowing that that's your mission field is uh, you get to go to places that we as a staff will never get a chance to go and tell people about Jesus. So always be looking for opportunities to tell others about the great news, the good news of Jesus Christ. So your mission field, it starts today. When you leave here today, it can, and, it, and it will continue on if you're a believer for the rest of your life. But one thing is we know that God is always with us and he will never leave us or forsake us. Uh, one of the places I want to talk about this morning is, uh, Pastor Phil mentioned that earlier today, is, is Vigilant Hope. This is a strategic partner for us because uh, they have the opportunity to share a meal um, with the lost and hurting, either that they're homeless or they're, they're just, they're, um, they just can't afford uh, food. So what Vigilant Hope does is they, they have the ability to, to give uh, people a chance to take a shower as well. They have a mobile shower unit. They also uh, serve meals uh, to, to the lost and the hurting. The main thing that they do is they share the gospel. They share devotions with uh, these, the folks that come through uh, their organization. And there are a lot of times, as we as believers, we can become numb uh, to the people that are around us that are standing on the street. And, um, but we, we need to know that they're made in the image of God, just like we are. But with Vigilant Hope, we have the ability to, to work with them as well. We have the ability to, as a church, to go down and, and share a meal, whether that be a Saturday morning or a Thursday evening. Uh, we can share meals uh, with Vigilant Hope. Um, we also have, there's multiple people throughout our body that are down there every single week. And there's a lot of people that are doing things that we might not know about as, as, a, as a church, but keep doing those things of God that God has laid upon your heart to go tell others about who Jesus Christ is. Uh, so as you, as you think this morning, too, you're going to have, um, we're going to talk about several uh, opportunities. Go to the missions, or go to the uh, scottshill.org slash missions website, and there's all of our opportunities are, are, are listed there. We're not going to go over an exhaustive list today, but you have the ability uh, to be able to, to be involved and plugged in with what we are doing here uh, with missions at Scottshill. So uh, the next, next place I want to talk about next um, a strategic partner is, is Lifeline Pregnancy Center. Many of you know um, of this ministry. This is a great ministry that there are, are many uh, ladies, many young ladies that are either, um, that can't afford um, uh, screenings or, or they can't afford uh, diapers and wipes for their children. Um, so Lifeline pro provides a lot of these things at no cost to these ladies that, that, that come in and need help. They need a support system around them, too. Just think about many, many people here um, have, had, have, have had children. Think how expensive it is to, to keep your baby in diapers and wipes and clothing and food. Um, and then think about if you have, most of us will have a support system. The, the ladies that come to Lifeline don't have a support system. So 
we as a church uh, can partner and are partnering with Lifeline. We have uh, Shannon Tyson, who is over our women's ministry. If you want to be involved with Lifeline, contact her. She can help you get plugged in uh, to Lifeline. One of the things I, I found out recently, uh, I had a lunch uh, with, with Lifeline, and one of the things that they do is they provide uh, ultrasounds uh, for ladies that come in uh, to Lifeline, and it's at no cost. And 80% of the time, the ladies that have seen the ultrasound of their unborn baby, 80% of the time, they choose life. Think about that. So think about, we, we do partner with them financially, but we can also partner with them with our hands and our feet as well. We have another uh, partnership I want to I chat with you about. It's uh, the Baptist Children's Home. Baptist Children's Home has 22 homes across the state of North Carolina. And the reason that we, we partner with Baptist Children's Home is there's many, many children, uh, teenagers on down, that either have been displaced from their home of their own volition, or they, they're displaced from their home uh, because their, their parents just can't handle them, but they have nowhere to go. They don't have anywhere to go, so what Baptist Children's Home will do, they will come and they will find these kids, they will bring them into one of their homes, and then they share the love of Christ with them by showing them what a Christian home looks like. There, is, there are house parents that live on these homes. They will show them what a Christian house looks like. They will do their homework with them. They will share their food with them. They will, um, they will do devotions with them every evening. They bring them into their home and show them what, uh, what Christ looks like through their marriage. So we can be involved in, in Baptist Children's Home as well. There's multiple ways uh, that we can do this. And one of the, one of the, a couple different ways is we have a, a one-day mini-venture uh, where we will go up uh, on one day out of the, every quarter, and we will um, start relationships with these children, uh, and visit with these children, have a meal with them, have a devotion with them, and that's once a quarter that we do that. We also go up once a year, and many of you have been there, um, it's what we call Summer Missions Venture or SMV. Many of you have, have been uh, up there for the week. We go up there a week during the summertime. And we um, have put on a, a VBS for the children. We also um, have devotion time with the children that are there. We do construction projects. Uh, we, we need all kinds of people to be able to help us at, on, at SMV every summer. Um, if, if you can do construction, if you can cut down trees, if you can uh, lead a devotion, um, or you can be a small group leader, we need your help. From, any, from the littlest child up to the oldest adult, this is a great way that you can partner with your family. Um, I, I have taken my family here, and we have had a chance to work in missions together as a family. That's a great way to be involved in missions as, as a family. So uh, consider uh, the Baptist Children's Home. Consider SMV uh, this, this year as you're thinking about how you can be more and more plugged in or how God is laying on your heart of what you can do this year, 2020, uh, for missions. Now I want to talk about a few international partnerships that we have. Uh, the first one here uh, is being uh, Haiti. Uh, many of you might have uh, remembered uh, Sam and Jessica Jakaitis. They came from In His Hands Orphanage uh, a few months ago. And um, they lead In His Hands. There's about 40, about 40 um, kids that, that, are, um, uh, that, they, that they have in their orphanage. The thing about Haiti, though, as most of you know, there's no infrastructure in Haiti as far as being able to take care of, of orphans are, are the least of these. They, 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 the government of Haiti just can't do that. So in his hands will come and be able to provide an opportunity for children to, uh, to come into a safe environment, uh, to be clothed, to be fed. But then Sam and Jessica share uh, the, the gospel with him. They share Christ with them each and every day. And we as a church, too, we have a church to go down there and travel in September. We, we will go in 2020 
uh, to spend a week. We will do a VBS uh, with the kids, um, and we will spend time with the kids. One of the greatest things, and I, I've been to Haiti, one of the greatest things about going to In His Hands, a lot of times these kids just need a hug. You know, some, sometimes we just need a hug, but these kids sometimes have never received a loving hug from anybody. Sometimes that's what they need, it's just a hug, and that's, we can do that. So we will go there in September, and, and I want to urge you to, if, that's, if this is something that God has laid on your heart, uh, to, to be able to, to go and give out hugs, to go and, and share VBS with, with children, this is a great way uh, for you to be able uh, to do that. The next, uh, next uh, partnership I want to talk about is, is Ecuador. And as you can see from, from this photo, Ecuador is a beautiful country. Uh, it's a beautiful country, uh, beautiful countryside, beautiful people that live there, but there is darkness in Ecuador. Um, there are a lot of people that are, are lost and hurting. There are a lot of people that have turned to drugs and alcohol because the poverty is rampant. Where we go in southern Ecuador, um, uh, Victor and Paola, Victor is the pastor of a, a small church in Catacocha, um, and it's called Catacocha Hill Baptist Church. And they've been there for about six years, and they've been uh, struggling um, to, uh, to see uh, people that be, are becoming true disciples, and they're starting to see the fruit. It's been a hard road for them. But we go there, we encourage them, but we also take uh, the gospel to the streets in Catacocha. We share the Jesus film when we are there. Um, so there's a lot of things that we can do. We also have a, um, uh, we also have a team of, of college students that go down there, and they, they share as well uh, by leading a camp. Um, so I just want to encourage you. There's, there's multiple ways to get, to get involved in missions here at Scotts Hill. The last, uh, the last slide I want to, want to share with you today is, is Ghana. This is from a recent trip uh, that we um, went, went uh, with. Um, this church here, is, it's, it's part of Suhudu Baptist Church. And you can see on the right there, it's, it's Pastor Isaiah. Um, and uh, this, this is a great opportunity to, to have direct contact with people, with Muslim community. This Muslim communities that we go in, whether that be in Kamasi, where, where, uh, where we're at, or whether the, the surrounding villages that we go, they, they're, they're Muslims. They believe Jesus. They know who Jesus is, but they don't know that Jesus is God. So what we do, we take Bible stories. And every Bible story, any story in the Bible, you can take and point it to Christ. That's what we do. We point them to Christ. We point them to that Jesus is God. And we show them through the scriptures that Jesus is God. And they start to, make, they start to connect those dots. We also share the Jesus film. The Jesus film, um, it's an older film, it's made in the 70s, but it walks through the book of Luke and it shows people on, on, a, on the screen who Jesus is. We'll show this film out in small villages outside and a lot of times it's the only light in this village. And can you imagine, picture that, when you're into a, a darkened village and all you see is the light of the Jesus film and, and what, what happens is uh, many people, um, I would say most people, that they've been working very, very hard all day long. In, in Ghana, they, they don't have um, uh, typically easier jobs to sit behind a desk and relax. They have jobs where they are, are physically strained every single day. And when they come back, they, we're showing this film in their, in their community. And for the most part, they will come and they will stand for two hours to watch this film. And I had multiple people have told me, thank you for bringing truth to us tonight. They know this. They know that the Jesus film is truth. Um, so this, this is a great way to be able to, to minister to, to the people in, in Ghana. And uh, we will be going there a couple times next year in March and also in October. Um, 
But I, I just want you to, uh, to continue to pray. Continue to pray how God will use you. Continue to pray um, that, that God will send labors into to, to his harvest field. The field is so ripe for harvest. We see so many people that are wanting to hear the gospel. We see lives that are being transformed by the gospel. And we thank you for sending people out, but we want you to go. We want you to go with us. We have been praying for you. So we continue to pray that God will send uh, workers into the harvest field. Thank you. Thank you, Vic. God bless you. Thank you for your ministry. Yeah. When's the last time you went to a movie theater and you stood for two hours to watch a movie, huh? You, you don't do that, huh? We complain if we don't even have comfortable seats. Can you imagine standing for two hours watching a 1970s depiction of Jesus and his disciples with the afro and everything? It is an amazing thing. So here's what we're going to do. I've got about 16 minutes left, so I'm going to ask you to stand for the rest of my sermon. And um, um, some of you almost did it. <laughs> But most of you knew better and say, uh-uh, that ain't happening here today. So how do we wrap up this series? Well, well, we've been talking about the things to do to live on mission. But here's why I want to close it out today. I want to give you five things not to do. Not to do. Five things to avoid when you and I are living on mission as missionaries, as witnesses with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want us to look at the life of the Apostle Paul and one incident, incident in his life, and it's found in Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 16. So take your Bibles, take your devices, turn your attention to the screen. We're going to look at Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 16, and going all the way to, to the end of that, that chapter. But what I want, us, I want us to do is look at the Apostle Paul's life, and what we see is that he was a guy on mission. There's no greater missionary in the New Testament than the Apostle Paul. And everywhere he went, he was a missionary, whether he was in a Jewish synagogue or he was in an arena of Gentiles or whether he was in prison. Everywhere he went, he lived life on mission. And he was so successful at it, we can learn a lot of things of what Paul did. But in this passage, we see some things that he didn't do and some things that he avoided. And if we're going to be faithful witnesses, let me encourage you by these five things that we should not do, okay? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. We ask that you would speak to our hearts now and that your Holy Spirit would cause our thinking to be different as we're conditioning our lives and preparing our lives to be on mission. In Jesus' name, amen. On Acts chapter 17, Beginning in verse 16, here's what we discover. The Apostle Paul has been in Thessalonica before this event. And he was preaching the gospel in Thessalonica, but he was run out of Thessalonica because of his boldness of the gospel. He couldn't stay there anymore. So he leaves Thessalonica and he goes to Berea. And he goes to this town in Berea and he's preaching the gospel. Again, he's run out of town in Berea. And he goes to Athens and as he's in Athens, he's waiting for his companions, Timothy and Silas. And as he's waiting in Athens, a number of things happen in his heart. Now, let me tell you about Athens. Athens was the most culturally significant city in the Roman Empire. Athens was the capital of philosophy in the world. Athens was also a city that was known for its most famous university in the whole world, and Athens was an incredibly pagan city. It was in Athens that Paul is waiting, and he's looking at all of these things, 
And verse 16 tells us the first thing that Paul does not do. Here's what it says. Paul is not indifferent to the spiritual condition of the people. He's not indifferent to the spiritual condition of these people. He knows about Athens. He knows what their reputation is. He knows they're pagan, idolatrous people. But he's not indifferent to it. Look at verse 16. It says, now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. His spirit was provoked in him. Paul did not go to Athens as a tourist. Paul went to Athens as a missionary. And as Paul is looking around at the corrupt, immoral culture of that city, his spirit is provoked. Athens did something to Paul, and Paul did something to Athens. He refused to remain indifferent about the condition of the people and their heart and the darkness of that culture. He refused to just say, oh, that's how Athenians are. He refused to say, oh, that's just how the culture is. He refused to say, well, you know, what can one man do about it? Instead, his spirit was so provoked that he did something to bring change to that culture. Let me tell you what we can't be. If we're going to be on mission for Jesus, we can't grow indifferent in our heart to the darkness of the culture. We can't become so desensitized to the moral decay around us that we neglect the only truth that they need to hear. We can't be indifferent. And yet many times we grow indifferent, and here's why. We have been watching our culture on a drift away from a biblical worldview for 30 years now. And as we've seen the moral decay in our culture, there's not much that surprises us anymore, is there? And we look at what happens, and we can say, oh, that's just a culture. That's just the way those people are. And I can grow so indifferent in my heart that I become condoning in my mind. And there we cannot be. When I was going to seminary in New Orleans, we were there for three years, from 1987 to 1990. And while I was there in New Orleans, there, there were a lot of areas, and we lived in an underprivileged area. And in the city of New Orleans, there were swimming pools all throughout, which were public swimming pools, and they were usually located in underprivileged areas. So all these people would go to the swimming pools in the summertime, and they had their lifeguards around all of these pools. And then while I was there, they had a big celebration because it was the first time in a long time that no one drowned in a public swimming pool in New Orleans. So all the lifeguards got together at this party. They picked the biggest pool. All the lifeguards, over 200 lifeguards met together for this celebration. They had food. They had music. They had all of these things. And while they're all gathering and partying around the pool, somebody looked and noticed in the deep end of the pool was a body. And somebody dove in there, and they found a child who had fallen in the swimming pool and drowned in the presence of 200 lifeguards. And we can say, wow, how can that happen? Every day there are people drowning in the presence of spiritual lifeguards, believers. They work with us. They live next to us. They even go to church with us. And we become so indifferent to the culture that we've lost the passion of seeing people and what their greatest needs are. The moment you and I become indifferent to this culture and so desensitized by it, 
is the moment we start losing the passion for telling them about Jesus. That's just the way they are. And you know what we end up becoming? Here's what we become. We become practical universalists. Oh, we don't believe in universalism, but we become practical universalists because we think, no, that's just the way we are. You know what? Things will probably work out for them. And if they continue the path they're going on, they're going to be separated from a holy God for eternity. Paul says, don't be indifferent. If we're going to be missional, let's not be indifferent to the culture. Let's re- re- realize what the culture is and understand that the only hope is Jesus Christ. Here's the second thing Paul was not. Paul was not insecure about the gospel message. Here he is in Athens, this philosophical capital of the world where intellectual giants live, where very astute culturally people lived, where you find that there were very, very affluent people living in this area. And he was not insecure about it. We find how he addresses the people. Luke says, so he reasoned with them in the synagogue with the Jews. He met with Jews. And he was not insecure about the message of the gospel. And the devout persons, religious people in the community, and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicureans, those were the, what you would call uh, uh, secular humanists. They believe in the material world, and that was it. Some of them were Stoic philosophers. These were the pantheists who believed that God is infused in everything and everything is God. And he also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities um, because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus. This was very, very honoring to go to the Areopagus. This is where the men of the city just Um, talked about philosophy and argued all the time because they wanted to hear more. Say, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing of something new. Here's Paul. He's in the middle of all these intellectual giants. He's in the middle of all these different philosophies. And Paul knew all the prevailing philosophies of Athens. And yet he wasn't insecure about the gospel. He stood toe-to-toe with them, and he is going to tell them the truth. Now, let me tell you what this means. This means Paul knew the truth. He knew the scriptures. He knew how to communicate. And he knew the importance of speaking rightly to these people. He spoke historically. He spoke in a way that was articulate. He spoke in a way that was biblically accurate. He was not insecure because what he did was he reasoned truth with them. Let me tell you, in the culture that we live in, we cannot be insecure about the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to meet maybe with some intellectual giants. We're going to meet with some people who have different philosophies. But we need to be absolutely secure in the truth that Jesus Christ is the only hope for humanity. We need to be absolutely secure that the gospel is the only power of God into salvation. Amen? And what we can't do is come across as irrational people who don't know what we believe. We can't be like that little boy who came home from Sunday school one day. His mom asked him, what did you learn today? He said, oh, we learned about Moses taking the people across the Red Sea. She said, well, what did you learn about that? He thought for a moment. He said, Well, Moses came to the edge of the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army was behind them, closing in. And Moses didn't know what to do. So he called the Army Corps of Engineers. 
And they came with pontoon boats. And they built all these pontoon boats across the Red Sea. And they were connecting them together. Well, Pharaoh's army was coming in. And so then he called the F-16s to fly in. And the F-16s came in and they started putting all kind of ground cover, taking out some of Pharaoh's men, dropping some bombs. And then Moses had all the people go across the pontoon bridge. And the last group grabbed the pontoons and they dragged them back with them. And Pharaoh's army tried to go and they all drowned. And the mom said, what? Is that what they taught you? He said, no, not really. But if I told you what really happened, you would never believe it. <laughs> Sometimes that's what we do. Here's what we do. We become irrational. And we say, oh, they won't believe this truth. They won't believe that a dead man rose from the grave and is alive today and he's the only hope. So you know what? Let's just not share it. Let's talk about something else. We can't be insecure. Here's a third thing Paul was not. Paul was not insensitive because of their ignorance of Jesus. This is an incredible thing about Paul. Paul was not insensitive to their ignorance. Paul was not insulting to the very people that he was sharing the gospel with. Paul didn't go in there guns blazing, trying to embarrass them because they don't know this truth. Here's what Paul knows. Paul knows that they're blinded by the God of this world, that they cannot see the glory of the gospel. Paul knows that they are lost and separated from a holy God, and unless somebody tells them the truth, they will not know it. Notice what Luke says. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Paul recognizes that these are spiritually minded people. They just have it wrong. Paul recognizes they're worshiping false gods. They don't know better. Paul recognizes that they know that there is an intelligent designer above all things. They don't know who he is, so they build a statue for him. Do you know that in Athens it was easier to find a God than it was to find a man? Because all in Athens, every single building was dedicated to a deity. In all of Athens, there were images of pagan gods on every street corner and in every square. They were so consumed with idolatry, they couldn't know the truth. And rather than Paul going in there and insulting them, he was sensitive to them. He worked with them. He listened to them. He spoke with them. He taught with them. He spent time helping them to know truth. He didn't go in there and judge them. They're already judged by their sins and their immorality. He didn't go over there and condemn them. Apart from Christ, they're already condemned. He went in there to love them and to tell them the incredible truth. He was so kind. And even though they called him names, he never retaliated, but he was very, very sensitive to their lostness. You know, sometimes as Christians, we can be so insensitive to non-believers. And you know what we forget? We forget what we were like before we came to faith in Christ. I was saved a long time ago. And sometimes I forget what it was like not to understand the truth. And it's only by the grace of God that we can know. And it's only by the grace of God that anyone can know. And it's because every person, regardless of who they are and what culture they come from, they live out of the condition of their heart. If their heart is darkened with sin, what do they do? They do sinful things. It's who they are. 
And it's apart from the message of Christ, they will continue to live a life separated from the truth. And we need to be kind. We don't need to be like the priest who got on a bus one day and he was sitting on an aisle seat and the aisle was right here. And he was reading his newspaper. The bus made a stop and in walked this drunk. I mean, he was... He was absolutely wasted. His eyes were bloodshot. Obviously, he'd been up partying all night and was still partying. He was stumbling down the aisle, and of all the places he could sit, he sat right across from the priest. The priest looked at him in disgust and turned his back and opened the paper up like that so he couldn't see him. After a few moments, the old drunk turned to the priest and said, Father, the priest looked at him and said, What is it? He said, I've got a question for you. What is it? What do you want? He said, what causes arthritis? And the priest looked at him. He said, I'll tell you what causes arthritis. Riotous living causes arthritis. Drunkenness causes arthritis. Rebellion and refusing to obey God causes arthritis. That's what causes arthritis. He looked at the preacher. He said, the priest, he said, wow, I am shocked. He said, why? He said, it says on your paper that the Pope has arthritis. <laughs> you know, I'm ex-Catholic. I can get away with that, okay? <laughs> but we can become so judgmental and condemning that we forget that apart from Christ, every one of us is living in lostness. And I'm to be sensitive to people who live around me and rather than judging them, love them. Because it's only through the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the good news that he died for them to give them eternal life and can free them from all the addictions and the areas of slavery in their life that they can be set free. So I'm not to be indifferent. I'm not to be insecure with the message of the gospel. I'm not to be insensitive to the struggle and the brokenness of people. But fourthly, Paul was not intimidated by their knowledge. I love this about Paul. He was not intimidated by their knowledge. Now, Paul was probably the most brilliant mind next to the Lord Jesus that we find in the New Testament. But here he is living in the bastion of philosophy. He is in Athens. You know who came from Athens? Socrates came from Athens. His student, Plato, came from Athens. His student, Aristotle, came from Athens. Here's the Apostle Paul in the shadow of all of these brilliant men. And he is unintimidated with the gospel. He is not going to let their intellect, he's not going to let their philosophy, he's not going to let their reputation or their popularity silence the truth. And he's going to speak the truth. So he begins to do it. He says, where therefore you worship as unknown, I proclaim to you. You've got this statue over here of the unknown God. Let me tell you who he is. And Paul is standing there in the Areopagus of all the philosophical giants of the city with the shadow of these great men leaning in on him. And what does he do? He preaches the gospel. And he preaches to every group that is recognized in Athens. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it. He's speaking to the evolutionist and he's saying, there is a creator who has created everything. And he stands toe-to-toe -to -toe with the evolutionist. He says that he's being Lord of heaven and earth. He is speaking to the pantheist. He's saying God is not just infused in everything and everything God. God is transcendent above everything, and he is Lord over everything. And he's speaking against the pantheist. 
Then he speaks against the secular humanist. He does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He's speaking to those who are secular humanists and he says there is one who is the giver of life and giver of all things. Then he continues on. He begins to speak to the moral relativist of the day. And he made from one man every nation to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. He's speaking to the moral relativist. He said there is truth, and that truth is found in one person. And he's dismantling all of the thoughts of moral relativism of his day. Then he speaks to the universalist. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he had fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's speaking against the universalists and he's saying there's only one way. And he's the redeemer. And he stood toe to toe with all of these unintimidated. Why? Because it's true. I'm going to tell you, we live in a culture today that really raises the thoughts about intellectualism. And we say that, oh, if you believe these things, you're not very much of an intellectual. But there are some people that I would call intellectual idiots among us. But here's the truth. Jesus is the only one. He is the agent of all creation. All things were given by him, for him, through him, and are held together in him. And that's the message that the world needs to hear. It goes back to Jesus. Here's the last thing. Paul was not inconsistent in his witness. Don't be inconsistent in your witness. Paul was not. Everywhere he went, he was missionary. Every moment of his day, all through his, the events of his life, he was a missionary. Whether he was in a synagogue, a Jewish gathering, a or in a Gentile arena, or in prison. He was always on mission. We find that every day he was involved in sharing the gospel. Verses 32 through 34, Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, We will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some of the men joined him and believed. The pattern of Paul's life is seen through Scripture. Check out chapter 17, verse 2 of the same chapter. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them in the Scriptures. Three Sabbath days, that means three weeks. For three weeks, every day, telling them about Jesus. Look at verse 10. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Immediately, they went to the place where they can proclaim the truth about Jesus. Verse 17. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Every day. He was consistent to his last breath. Paul 
lived on mission. You see, if you and I are going to live on mission, there are things we can't do. Don't be indifferent. Don't let the circumstances and the condition of the culture determine whether or not you will have a passion to tell others about Jesus. Don't be indifferent. Don't be insecure. Let the message of the gospel penetrate deep within your heart and remember how the gospel changed your own life and transformed you. And it is the greatest truth that mankind needs to hear. Don't be insensitive. Walk in the love of Jesus and be patient with people and realize that I was there. That was me. 30 years ago, that was me. 10 years ago, that was me. Two months ago. Don't be intimidated. It's easy to be. Stand in the truth of what you know and witness to that and let the Holy Spirit do the work in the lives. And don't be inconsistent. I didn't share this with the other services. It just kind of came to mind. But I remember reading about a group of men who lived in a certain community many, many years ago. And they were fishermen. And they all loved to fish. And they decided, you know what would be really cool? Is if we started a fishing club. And we had a gathering every week where the men of our community could gather together and talk about fishing. So they said, yeah, it's a great idea. So they started a fishing club. And every week, these group of men would gather together, and they would talk about fishing. They would talk about the places to go fishing. They would talk about the lures to be used. They would talk about all their experiences of the past. And everybody would talk about fishing. And then they got to thinking, you know what? We need a bigger and a better place. We need a new building. We need to reach new people. And they did. So the word got out about the fishing club and men from all over this area started coming to the fishing club and they're meeting together and they're talking about fishing and they said, you know what, we need a better facility. So they built a facility with the most exquisite of furnishings. And all the people gathered together and they would talk about fishing. And they said, you know what, we need some experts to come in and tell us how to fish. And so every month, some great angler from across the globe would come in and they would teach them about fishing and talk about fishing. They said, oh, we need some more. Let's start ordering periodicals that can tell us everything we know about fishing. And so they would start getting the magazines, and they would start looking at all these articles about fishing. And then they would all start saying, hey, let's start memorizing all of these articles. Let's memorize the principles. Let's get together and sing songs about fishing. And they did. And then one evening they said, the world's greatest fisherman is coming. So the place was packed to overflowing. He stood on the platform. He said, I see you've got this beautiful facility where you gather and you talk about fishing. I see you have the finest of seats. You have the finest of periodicals and all the different elements of fishing. But let me ask you one question. Does anybody here fish? Not one hand went up. I wonder what it would look like if the Lord Jesus came and stood on this platform and said, wow, nice facility. 
Man, you get the lights going really good. The videos, great quality. The music, people are engaged. I see you're studying constantly, but here's my question. Does anybody here witness? Is anybody going out and living what I taught you? Now I know the truth of that is the answer is yes for many of us. But there are two kind of people in the world. There's those who talk about lost people and there are those who talk to lost people. What are we going to be? God's called us the ones with the message to tell them. This can be overwhelming sometimes, but let me just tell you, it is a simple act of every single day asking God to set your heart on fire with the gospel to make you sensitive to the people who are around you, that you are as heartbroken over their sinfulness as the Lord is, that you are re realizing that their eternal destiny is in a relationship with Jesus. And apart from him, there's no life. We're called to be witnesses. Let's be that. Love people. Tell them what you know. And you will watch your own walk with the Lord grow. Your own passion for people grow. And the only impact of your community as you're a change agent. Let's live on mission. This week we have a group of individuals who are going to Ghana with Vic. And I want to encourage us to pray for them. We have on the screen some names of those who are going to Ghana, and I want you to remember these names. Vic is leading them, our missions pastor. Madison Smith, Jamie Dyer, and Jamie Bentfield are going. This is all women's team, with the exception of Vic, and this is the opportunity for them to go really minister to the women of that culture. Um, and we want to pray for them, that as they go and they're living on mission with one of our partnerships, that God would go before them, that he would, he would open up the hearts and the minds of the women that they're going to meet with and all the divine appointments that have already been set will bring fruit. So would you pray with me with them, about them? And I want to pray for us as a body of living on mission. Father, thank you that you love us enough and you've been so patient with us that you've sent your son who lived a perfect life so that he would be the perfect sacrifice who took our sins on the cross, who took our penalty of your wrath. He died. He was buried. And on the third day, Father, you validated everything he ever claimed. You raised him from the dead. And he is alive today. Father, you have changed our hearts with this truth. And now you are calling us to proclaim this truth to others. Father, as this team heading to Ghana this week, I pray, Father, that you would encourage them, that you would protect them. Number one, you would protect them in their travels. Father, you would protect them from any food or things that they would drink, that they would not become sick. We ask that you would protect them from the evil one who wants to derail and deter everything 
that they share in the gospel. We ask, Father, you would go before them, but you would bring a great harvest as they go and they share the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ to people who are desperate for life. I ask, Father, that as your Holy Spirit goes before them, he would condition their hearts and that, Father, we would celebrate together at the harvest that you bring because of the faithfulness of this team. Give Vic wisdom as he leads this team and as he walks with them through this ministry. Father, I pray for us as a people that as we go and live on mission, Father, our lives would be different and the lives of those around us would be different as we share with them the truth of the message of the good news of Jesus. And we pray in his name, amen.